DJ Simulationistas, sup, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. Pelaganis <laughs> and Dan Raymer. <laughs> little With delay there. DJ Simulationistas. Sup? <laughs> How are you doing today, Dan? Uh, I'm doing well, Janice Pelagan. <laughs> I love that your name rhymes. It doesn't actually rhyme. You know, I, think I don't an... think I told you this. I ran into someone from high school at the airport, and all I hear is Janice Pelaganis. Janice. <laughs> <laughs> me how in high school nobody could say my first name without saying my last yeah yeah. (laughs) but you know i was thinking it doesn't it's not actually a rhyme it's isn't it like an onomatopoeia (laughs) oh no you're gonna throw me in the grammar school (laughs) here or is it an alliteration no no it's an onomatopoeia it it's it sounds like who you are Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little slow today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think while we're on the topic, we should talk about words. So, Janice Palaganis, what, what are the simulation oh. words that you hear and you can't stand? Yes. So, this refers back to episode numero James Wolnsart. Really? You're going to make me look that up? Uh, it was, let me see here, episode two. Uh-huh. <laughs> where we, where I talked about words that should be bad words, that sound like they're bad words. Yes, I, I've been considering my language more and more. <laughs> so what are the words in simulation? So um, when people talk about the voice of God, Mm-hmm. the the voice coming over the speaker from you know from overhead from the control room essentially i always think how did simulation get to be a religious experience <laughs> it's really a secular activity and well yeah I, and I santa always, too santa so so voice that's what they, that's what they the terminology they use in Australia the voice of Santa. I think it's just Queensland though, right? No, actually, it's all over. Well, Pauline uh, was saying it was just Queensland. No, um, I've heard it in in Melbourne and Sydney. It's oh, really? uh, it's universal, um, and and I've always like you know cringed my nose and thought. What in the world does Santa Claus have to do with simulation? Uh, healthcare simulation, I guess it is simulated. And um, when did Santa move to Australia? And that's the part that is I just know, baffling. Isn't... Why are they so <laughs> fixated on Santa Claus? <laughs> but I love my Australian friends. So, so. oh, I wish Robert was here right now because his favorite moment of when we were teaching in Saudi Arabia was when I had to introduce method, <laughs> methodologies and um, simulation, and I talked about voice of God, and I couldn't get it out. 
was like, I can't believe I'm even saying this here. <laughs> Voice of, I can't believe I'm even saying this. Well, that's, that's the problem is that every culture uh, looks at this differently <laughs> and it just seems to me to be pretty risky terminology. So, so I've been saying the overhead voice and that seems to be descriptive and I don't know why we adopt that term. The, the I, other... I mean, I think it's, I think it, like many things in simulation started off with a joke and then just caught on because I could see why people call it voice of God because, you know, you mm. talk up as if you're praying for something and you literally are praying that you're getting the right thing right, right? <laughs> well, I, I thought it came from that, you know, the control room is all-knowing and has all the information Oh, there you and go. And so, so I, I appreciate how it came to be. I just think it's one of those words that's just not politically correct in this context. I agree. So the other word like that that's always bothered me is the term confederate. And I find that that's a word that has connotations for lots of people. Oh, definitely. Now, I, I've debated this with folks. Uh, uh, in fact, Dave, David Gobba and I have debated this. I on was this. part of that debate, Dan. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and Janice Pelaganis, <laughs> and there were several other people in that. Uh, Who else in, was in that? Jill Sanko was the one that ran it. In that session, yes. And it was about the term Confederate, and um, I have uh, relatives. My wife's family was very were very prominent southern confederates in the war between the states uh or as they call it the war of northern aggression uh and uh the terminology around that around that conflict still is with us and um probably will be for a long time and so you know dipping your toe into that territory seems to me also risky for no purpose and uh so when i checked with my relatives they were um they they were understanding of where the term comes from but Mm -hmm. um it they said that it did bring up issues uh around the you know the 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 horrible history around the american civil war i think somebody wrote a letter to ssh about not using that word. And I think that spurred the discussion around all the terminology change. One of the arguments against it is that the term Confederate with a capital C refers to the war between the states or the Southern side and the war between the states. But with a lowercase c uh, represents the term Confederate as Um, is used in psychology. And and so that's a fine argument, except when you see it in a paper, as one of my colleagues uh, wrote a paper on this topic, and the word Confederate appeared many times throughout the manuscript. There Capitalized. Was, there were seven or eight times that it was the first word of a sentence, and therefore mm. it was capitalized. And so it seems like a highly technical argument to argue about the case of the sea as opposed to just use another word. Well, I think the problem with even using Confederate coming, you know, deriving from psychology is that 
when you do research, it's purposefully to study someone's actions or inactions. It's, it's, the purpose of it is that kind of in the know, fake trickery, deceit. And I think that's why some people, even if they accept it as the term from psychology, can't accept it for simulation because that role is really seen as someone who actually facilitates the learning, is not there to deceive, um, but plays a role to facilitate the experience. As we've discussed in our podcast around deception, that deception historically was part of uh, was part of simulation, but I think as we've grown, we've realized that um, our purpose not is not at all to trick anyone, uh, but it's to enhance their learning, even if sometimes they're surprised, but it ought to always be in a helpful way. Thus, the word confederate, strongly implying, according to the dictionary, some degree of trickery, seems like an inappropriate word. The problem is, what word do we use? Oh my gosh, that is a problem because it keeps changing. It changes every two years. So we went from actors, which people didn't like because they're often considered educators or people who facilitate the learning. So they're not just acting. Also, I've heard the argument that if you use the term actor, that person better belong to the Actors Guild, the union movement, uh, uh, because you would have to pay them union wages in some states in America uh, if you use the term actor. Really? So that seems to be true in California, where Hollywood is. Well, and sense. you could imagine that, uh, uh, that that would be the case. So, there's act- so we went from actors to embedded actors. And then we came up with the umbrella term... So this is coming from the um, terminology group with the Society for Simulation Healthcare. Then we came up with embedded simulated persons as an all-encompassing umbrella term for standardized and simulated persons. So there, you know, there is that distinction between standardized being trained and standardized. And then simulated persons who were not standardized and go through a rigorous process of right. their acting and interaction. It seems like there's so many confounding concepts. So when you say simulated person, my immediate thought is something on a computer screen. Oh, so interesting. Like an or a mannequin. Some people could think mannequin. Well, sure. A mannequin, you know, by definition is a simulation of a person. Well, there was the, um, what was the one? HPS, Human Patient patient Simulator. simulator. Uh So, yeah. So, so that term is kind of confounding. But you told me earlier that it, it, it's changed or something. It's changing. So I think we're going to embedded person. Embedded person. So I like that a lot better, actually. Um, I think I'm going to use that term, an embedded person, because that embedded person could be be a patient, could be a family member, could be a staff member. It's really anyone who is acting in a in a scene 
and the acting may be informal, not professional, uh, and it may not be highly trained as in a standardized patient. And so I, I like the term embedded person. Good. Nice work. Um, well, you are part of the committee. <laughs> oh, I forgot. <laughs> I missed the meeting, unfortunately. We haven't decided, though, but we'll keep you updated uh-huh. with the SSH dictionary. Oh, good. We're making progress. So how, ca- how about um, oh, we getting... should that, that dictionary should have a list of words that should be bad words. Uh-huh. Right, obscenities. It could like, be the it well, could be you know, the dummy, invisible doll. Section. Dummy. Oh, I hate the. I actually kind of like when they say dummy because I always point out that that's me, and that the <laughs> patient is what we're talking like, about. That's so bad. It's a. I can't help but laugh. It's a poor. It's a poor joke. I'll, I'll admit it's not terrible, but. <laughs> I'm still laughing. It seems to always work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So, I mean, there was a whole, you know, early on, probably when you started this society, there was this whole big trend of calling the mannequins dummies. And, and having the crash dummies. Was it around the time right. the crash dummies had commercials or something? I Well, I've heard that word throughout my uh, simulation life. Um, and, you know, it's a common term used for crash dummies and, um, and, and lots of other venues. It's, you know, mannequins are called dummies. Mannequin is such a hard word to spell anyways. And so dummies, for people like me, are, um, who are a dummy, uh, is, can be difficult. So, so finding, <laughs> you know, I can, under, I can appreciate how that word is used, just that the connotations of it and how it makes it sound like a silly game, it makes simulations sound like a silly game, uh, takes away from our seriousness of purpose. Uh, I, I think we probably should use a better word. Um, mannequin actually, I think, is also problematic because of the spelling. Um, well, one is the spelling, but two, uh, there are mannequins used in you know for clothing and things like that. Right, that's Q U I N. There, both are spelled the same way. Well, K-I-N, if you look it up in the dictionary, is anatomically correct models. Uh Uh-huh. But it doesn't specify the use. But if you look up Q-U-I-N, the first definition is to display clothing. Right. So I think the point is that there are static mannequins and there are active mannequins and there are mannequins that are more or, or less anatomically correct. And what we're really referring to most of the time are electronic mannequins and the fact that they're electronic and we can control them um, you know, from a, from a console or a computer, I think makes them different than all other kinds of mannequins. But it's not a term that centered our our lexicon, and um, you know I think we 
will continue to struggle with some people what lightheartedly. Term are you so, some Hi. people will 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 call them dummies. Some people will um. call them mannequins. Some people will call the electronic mannequins high fidelity mannequins. Oh my gosh! Which I think is just an absolutely incorrect term. Mm-hmm. Fidelity refers refers to the accuracy with which something is depicted. And if you look at a mannequin and you look at a human being, there are only slight resemblances. <laughs> the mannequins are not anatomically correct. Most of the mannequins, almost all the mannequins, have exoskeletons. I don't know many people who have exoskeletons. <laughs> we have our bones inside, the hard parts inside, the soft parts outside. And the mannequins, the electronic mannequins that we use, are all the other way around. So I find it just kind of uh, um, wrong to refer to the electronic mannequins as high fidelity. They certainly have lots of electronic capabilities, and that's awesome, but it's not about fidelity. I know I can't stand that either because for me and what, you know, I do with interprofessional education, so much is the communication. And so the fidelity there is not going to be the high technology mannequin. It's going to be the embedded person that's right. in the room right. talking. Who has incredibly high fidelity. For that situation, yes. You brought up another term that I just have struggled with, and that's this term, interprofessional education. And so I've I've always used to use the word interdisciplinary, Mm -hmm. and sometimes with certain groups I'll say interspecialty, um, well, you're and, not wrong, though. But the but the term you're um, I know is is being espoused nationally, and I know you were on the Institute of Medicine committee on interprofessional education. Maybe you can explain to me the thinking behind that term as opposed to interdisciplinary. The different definitions. Um, you know, I do think that maybe it. I just feel like words in general become trendy. So at one at one point it was, um, uh, what was it? In, intraprofessional huh. or interprofessional, intraprofessional, and then there was another one. Interdis interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. So I think in the literature it's gone through phases, and perhaps. When the Venn diagram of, you know, the need for interprofessional education and the drive for it and everything else, all the factors that made people focus on it, perhaps all of that met at the time when the word interprofessional got published. And Mm -hmm. that might have been why it's so widely adopted now versus all of the different ones. I mean, I think they were... Fairly wide, but not as wide as in a professional education. So let me just talk about the word. I feel like it's a bad word when it's hyphenated. Because <laughs> uh-huh. it shows to me that people haven't 
been looking at the literature because it's not hyphenated in the literature. Right. Yet Word, Microsoft Word, doesn't recognize it as a word yet. And mm -hmm. so it automatically hyphenates it or tells you that you spelled it wrong mm -hmm. when it's not hyphenated. So that bothers me. And, um, and so I feel like it's a bad word when it's hyphenated, but a good word when it's I, uh, I am probably guilty of the hyphenation because of the insistence of the word processor. <laughs> uh, so, so what's the difference between a discipline and a profession? I guess that's the essential difference. So when you said interspecialty, you weren't wrong. So interprofessional is when you've got different professions in the group. So nurses, allied health professionals, physicians. physicians. Uh -huh. And if you're saying interspecialty and they're all physicians, they're just of different specialties, then you're not wrong. That's, uh -huh. that's interspecialty. And, and that's actually the correct term uh, if there were no uh, nurses or allied health professionals in that session. Yes. And, and then that's also referred to as multi-specialty. Multi-specialty. So the difference, I know this is really, we really get into, oh, it's just the lexicography around all <laughs> oh, this is crazy. So the difference between interprofessional and multi-professional, which is also the difference between inter-specialty and multi-specialty, if I could just hit on that for a minute. Sure. So the difference between inter and multi so multi is um, not interacting. You're uh -huh. learning in parallel. Uh -huh. So they could. So everyone might be represented, but they're not necessarily focused on learning about each other. Right. Like I used to think I did interprofessional education way back in the day, and what I would do is I would invite different professions to come to my lecture. Uh huh. <laughs> Maybe I'd let them engage in discussion. And it was quite disappointing to find out that I was not doing interprofessional education. I was doing multi-professional education because right. they were learning in parallel. Now, inter is when you're learning with, from, and about each other. So there's an interaction uh -huh. and learning there. And that's, I guess, what we're all driving towards, having people understand each other's uh, uh, professions and responsibilities, and uh, from that, they'll become better co-workers and teammates. Well, exactly, and I think that's the problem, is we make the same mistakes with simulation, thinking that we're doing interprofessional education, but we're developing the case where they're working in parallel like they do on a daily basis. If they're running a code, the nurse is doing the medication thing, respiratory therapy is doing the you know, bag valve masking, and then you've got the physician that's doing the ordering and that sort of thing. They're just working in parallel. And so if you're going to do simulation and you really want to do interprofessional education, develop the case so that they are forced to interact. So you're going to do something that's throw in a embedded person where you're forcing some of these things you're talking about, the communication, being able to work together. I suppose it's also really important um, in the debriefing, and I often do these uh, multi-professional group simulations, I always think it's my job to get them to see each other 
And so I always bring up in the debriefing what each party was thinking at a critical moment to show them the face of the person that they're dealing with. And I think that's very productive. It's great. And, and I think your job as a debriefer, which I want to talk about the word debriefing, by the way, um, your job as a debriefer is easier when you embed interprofessional objectives into your case versus having them work alongside each other and then in the debriefing you're trying to explore well what if you guys can actually communicate uh-huh right right <laughs> well um so one more thing about this uh, word interprofessional education um we haven't talked about the difference between inter and intra okay. and i guess if you um uh tortured me i would probably come up with some distinction between the two but off the cuff I can't I can't articulate what that difference is intra-professional would be like your multi-specialty uh-huh and then there's uni-professional where it's just one profession uh-huh, uh-huh. so inter and intra inter would imply that you're interacting with each other uh-huh. intra would imply that you're doing parallel play in the sandbox. Oh, gosh, I wouldn't know about the intro versus multi, but um, I would probably use interspecialty if there was definite learning with, from, and about. Uh-huh. 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 I know. Okay. Good. I know, right? Oh, can I talk about the word debriefing? Um, no. Yes, you can. <laughs> sure. So when I first started in this field of healthcare simulation, I was appalled that the heart of learning debriefing was called debriefing because in my clinical experience, anytime you heard the word debriefing, it meant that there was a sentinel event or some sort of root cause analysis where something went wrong in the actual hospital setting and we needed to go to the debriefing. Right. In common parlance, uh, the word certainly comes from uh, uh, military and, uh, and police and lots of disciplines where um, people need to be debriefed after something potentially psychologically um uh powerful and uh and so that's kind of unfortunate that it has that implication you can again appreciate how the word came about because in the beginnings of of modern simulation in the 1990s things were focused on dealing with crises and so the notion that after you had a crisis everyone would have to debrief was a logical term to use. And I think our use of simulation has greatly expanded. And um, uh, and so we do more than crises. And um, we try to uh, put a lot of education uh, in what we do. Um, and debriefing really doesn't imply much about education, more about people's psychological well-being. So perhaps it's an unfortunate term. 
I just am afraid, Janice Palaganis, <laughs> that we're not going to change that one. No, we're not uh, going to change it. It's um, too well published. Too, it's too much in our language. It's yeah. too tightly coupled to simulation, healthcare simulation. I don't think that. Uh, well, I think we're also, uh, and I don't think we need to change it. I think, if anything, we need to get skilled debriefers, people who have done debriefing perhaps in simulation, to run the actual debriefings when a sentinel event occurs in the hospital setting. Because I think that's the difference is when I think of those debriefings, they're not well run usually. Mm -hmm. um, there's some finger pointing and at the same time there's people crying. I mean, it's usually pretty awful. Yes, I agree. It can be, and I, I, uh, I've done um, uh, several workshops on this on this topic, and actually have, in a couple of cases, focused those workshops on using the healthcare simulation education style of debriefing for root cause analyses, mm -hmm. and uh, and so there's some really interesting things about that process in America it differs state to state what that means and what the legal implications of it are. And so um, I learned that it can be quite different as you go from place to place um, in America. And, you know, the, the healthcare style debriefing might be appropriate in some places, but, um, you know, not really be, not work very well in other places. And so, so that's one issue, but I do think that it's, I totally agree that the skills are very similar and really finding out what's behind what happened in a real clinical event that didn't go as well as people had hoped is exactly the same set of skills as in healthcare simulation debriefing. Any other words that you hate? You know, there is a phrase I hate. What is that? <laughs> we should probably get into this in the next episode. Um, simulation is over. Simulation is over. So why I does that? I like it. Why does that bother you? Because um, just... the simulation is over, and now we're back in the real world as it were. Well, I think the physical transition, hopefully there is a physical transition. I mean, I know some right. people do brief at the bedside. Um, I think that is an indicator. I don't think it needs to be so explicit because I think the risk you take with it being explicit are all of the risks that we talk about with deceit. And I I feel like you know, when we worry about the psychological safety of our learners, that they've we've just engaged them in this maybe intense simulation that as clinicians, it's really hard to step out of a patient's room mid-intensity. And, and as we've learned in our, you know, um, uh, our courses with IMS, People can't just, you know, leave. There needs to be a trigger to help them leave. And so normally in the hospital setting, you have another team or somebody that's taking over 
that intense moment that allows you to step out of the room. And so simulation over is that doesn't add to the fidelity for me. And as a learner, I would feel like, oh, game over. So, so, uh, um, so I, I agree with you that that transition is a really difficult moment in, in simulation. Um, I don't agree with you about not being explicit. So as you know from hearing me debrief, I'm all about explicit communication. Always uh, um, is, is better than, um, than inexplicit or suggestive uh, to, um, communication. So, so I always think it's a, it's a service to the learner to say there is a transition here and I'm going to be explicit about it. The simulation part of this is over. We're now transitioning into the debriefing part. I, I don't disagree. I, I just think there should be a, a, a real transition that allows them to step, to mentally step out of the role before it's said explicitly. And, and I, I'm not sure you should say it explicitly as you enter the room. Okay. I think it could probably be said in the debriefing room as you're starting the debriefing or... Uh-huh. So maybe these things aren't, uh, aren't mutually exclusive and we can compromise here. Um, how about if, um, uh, you know, you should always bring people in to uh, move to the patient, to take care of the patient. Your uh, embedded persons can do that. You can bring uh, more people in to do that. I don't think you should do that. Um, you as the debriefer. You as the debriefer. I think you should be escorting the participants to wherever you're going to debrief. Absolutely. And so I think um, after after people have moved to the patient, and you say, well, "Come with me. Let's go to debrief this." I think that might be a time that you could say the simulation is over. So I think that's ideal, and I just think about, um, if you can think back to when you first started, and when I first started, it was, I was the only person, and you don't have that luxury of someone else coming in, and so how do you, I mean, I guess you would be doing it at that point, just kind of doing all of it. Yeah, well, I, I had dinosaurs and things like that to work with, so um, <laughs> I can't really remember back that far. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, I think we're going to close this episode. Yeah, so it was nice talking to you, talking with you today. Um, it was nice talking with you today. <laughs> I, I think uh, we have uh, rewritten the language. Oh, dictionary version four. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, there's an effort. Uh, we're both on the lexicon committee with SSH and there's a new dictionary that's been uh, published um, thanks to the very hard work of Joe Lopriata and the staff at SSH as well as as well as committee members um, and I think that's a really um, uh, positive and defining um, growth point for the field of simulation, healthcare simulation as a whole. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us. 
Yeah, thanks for joining us. This has been DJ Simulationistas. What's up? With Dan Raymer and Janice Pelaganis. Thanks so much for listening. Check back next week for another episode. See you next time. <laughs>